Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. True tolerance is based on a genuine concern for other people. A genuine concern that says, I respect your right to believe what you want to believe, to behave as you want to behave, but I also love you too much to remain silent about it. True tolerance not only allows for a strong point of view, it actually demands it. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. America is a place where people of all races, religions, and backgrounds can live in harmony. And while this type of community could not work without tolerance, our contemporary understanding of that word has taken on an alarming redefinition. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shares how today's understanding of tolerance has changed from its historical meaning. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress. Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Today, we're going to continue to talk about what I believe is the most misunderstood word in America. Any guesses? (laughs) Well, in a moment, I'll explain how the word tolerance has become leveraged against Christians and how we should respond. But that's not all. Today's woke historians are attempting to twist the truth about our country's founding fathers as well. They fabricated a tale that America was founded mainly by a group of men who wanted a secular nation. In reality, the United States was founded predominantly by Christians who wanted to build a Christian nation on the foundation of God's will. Along those lines, I'm absolutely thrilled to offer you a brand new pictorial book called America is a Christian Nation. This exclusive coffee table book is filled with inspirational memories that reinforce the truth about our Christian heritage and a series of gorgeous photos that illustrate the glory of our country, a country that has been blessed uniquely by God. And a copy of this new book is yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. In fact, when you respond today, I'll also include a DVD that contains my message, America is a Christian Nation, with all the evidence you need that America was truly founded upon God and His Word. I'll say more about my book and the DVD later in today's program. But right now, let's consider today's very important topic. I'm speaking about the most misunderstood word in America. In today's world, when people say, I am tolerant of something, uh, they're saying, I believe that that belief, behavior, or choice is just as valid as mine. However, what I'm going to call true tolerance not only allows for, but it requires a belief in absolute truth. Author Gregory Kalki says, probably no concept has more currency in our politically correct culture than the notion of tolerance. Unfortunately, one of America's noblest virtues has been so distorted, it's become a vice. But tolerance, when correctly understood, really is a virtue that ought to be embraced. But what society understands tolerance to be and what true tolerance is are vastly different things. 
Uh, Gregory Kalki again identifies the three critical components of true tolerance. Number one, there's a permitting or allowing something you dislike or uh, don't agree with. Secondly, a conduct or point of view with which one disagrees with in the process while number three, respecting the person in the process. Now this pseudo-tolerance, this new tolerance, resembles historical tolerance in some ways, but it's also radically different from the historic understanding of tolerance in four distinct ways. I want you to write this down. First of all, pseudo-tolerance rejects the idea of absolute truth. And of course, by rejecting absolute and spiritual truth, a pseudo-tolerance uh, has to become what they say they despise. And that leads to a second characteristic of pseudo-tolerance. Pseudo-tolerance is intolerant of other points of views. That's the most ironic thing about the whole thing. Those who say they're tolerant usually end up being the most intolerant people of all. Let me give you some illustrations of that. A few years ago, I was invited to be on a panel discussion at one of the largest Jewish temples here in Dallas. And the panel discussion had to do with the separation of church and state. Um, during the discussion, one of the panelists asked me this question. They said, Dr. Jeffers, why are you so opposed to teaching evolution in the public classroom. I said, I'm not opposed to teaching evolution at all. I think evolution ought to be taught. My question to you, I said, was, why are you so opposed to allowing creationism also to be taught as an alternate theory? See, that is the hypocrisy of tolerance. The intolerance of these pseudo-tolerant people reaches into spiritual issues as well. I want you to read carefully this statement from Reverend William Murray, a prominent Unitarian Universalist minister. Listen to what he says about what he calls intolerant religions. Listen to what he says, quote, I get a little impatient with the concept that we should tolerate all religions because people are entitled to their own beliefs. If a religion is based on ignorance and irrationality and totalitarianism, think evangelical Christianity. If a religion is based on these things, there is no need to stand aside and pretend that's okay. What I would say about tolerance is we cannot tolerate intolerance. Now that statement reveals the hypocrisy of pseudo-tolerance. Number three, pseudo-tolerance refuses to differentiate between people and their beliefs and their behavior. Pseudo-tolerance refuses to allow you to differentiate between people and their beliefs and behaviors. In other words, to reject Islam is to reject Muslims. If you oppose same-sex marriages, it means you hate homosexuals. If you lobby for the repeal of Roe v. Wade, it means you must despise every woman who has ever had an abortion. Do you see how insidious that is? Thank goodness God separates us from our behavior. He says, I hate what you do, but I love you. Listen to me. For us to be the salt and light Jesus commanded us to be, we have to reject every vestige of pseudo-tolerance. Instead of rejecting the concept of tolerance altogether, what we need to do is return to the historic understanding of true tolerance. And what I mean by true tolerance can not only enhance our preserving influence as Christians in this world, but if we model true tolerance, we can also boost the brightness of our witness for Christ. 
How does true tolerance differ from pseudo-tolerance in three distinct ways? Number one, true tolerance requires making a judgment. Remember, you can only tolerate those things with which you disagree with, like same-sex marriage, or those things you dislike. So that means you have to make a judgment. Now, we make judgments all the time, don't we? Some years ago, I made the choice to marry my wife, Amy, over other choices that were out there. Not that many, but other choices right out there. No, that's not true. I made that choice because she was a superior choice. In my mind, I made a judgment. And yet today, the proponents of pseudo-tolerance have convinced us that it is unloving and unkind and even unchristian to make any kind of moral or spiritual judgment. And they always quote the words of Jesus. After all, they said... Didn't Jesus say, judge not lest you be judged? I want you to turn there for a moment to Matthew chapter 7. And let's see what Jesus actually was saying when he said, we are not to judge lest we be judged. In Matthew 7, Jesus was railing against the Pharisees. The Pharisees came up with these strict regulations for how people ought to behave, regulations that they were unwilling to live by themselves. They were hypocrites. They're like a lot of these politicians who talk about, oh, we're for family values, and yet they behave privately in immoral ways themselves. That's what Jesus was railing about. He said, don't judge other people like the Pharisees to make yourself look better to God and to others. But it is obvious from what Jesus said here, he was not opposing making any judgment at all. Look at Matthew 7. Do not judge lest you be judged, for in the way you judge you will be judged, and by your standard of measure it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What he's talking about is this. If you see a fellow Christian who is involved in sin, what are you supposed to do? Oh, you ought to do everything you could to help remove that speck from his eye. And you do it not because you hate him, but because you care about him. But to remove that speck from his eye, you have to make a series of judgment. You make the judgment that, first of all, we are all accountable to God. Secondly, there are certain beliefs that are contrary to God's revealed will found in the Bible. Thirdly, this person, my fellow Christian, is engaging in some of that behavior. And finally, this kind of behavior will lead to a bad end for him. All of those judgments you have to make before you try to help him with the sin in his life. And Jesus says, by the way, before you try to help him with sin in his life, take the blindfold off. Examine your own life, first of all, to be sure you're ready to perform the operation. Take that beam, that two-by-four, out of your eye as well. And that leads to a second characteristic of true tolerance. True tolerance is grounded in a genuine concern for other people. The only reason you'd try to remove a particle from somebody's eye is for the well-being of that individual. The effort to remove the particle may involve some temporary discomfort. But thirdly, the motivation for making the judgment and inflicting temporary pain is the long-term comfort of that other person. You know, we have been told by the pseudo-tolerance uh, movement 
that if we make a judgment that somebody is engaging in beliefs, behaviors, or choices that are wrong, if we judge them in any way, that is a sign of hate. No, the truth is remaining silent about people's behaviors, beliefs, or choices that cause them harm, that is the most unloving thing you can possibly do. The famous evangelist of yesteryear, Charles Finney, once said, if you see your neighbor's sin and pass by and neglect to reprove him, it is just as cruel as if you should see his house on fire and pass by and not warn him of it. True tolerance is many times showing a genuine concern for others. Number three, true tolerance allows for preferences. Proponents of pseudo-tolerance have convinced us that tolerance necessitates neutrality. Pseudo-tolerance says you can't have any judgments about anything and truly be tolerant. But to be truly accepting of others, the fact is we need to express our preference for certain choices, beliefs, and behavior. Let me illustrate that for you on a governmental level if I could. True tolerance in our government demands that we allow people to embrace beliefs and engage in behaviors that we find distasteful, that we find to be wrong, just as long as those uh, behaviors don't exceed the boundaries of the law. Our Constitution demands that we allow people to worship any God they choose to worship or no God at all. That is the First Amendment. However, the fact that our Constitution demands that everyone have the freedom to embrace any religious beliefs or no religious beliefs does not mean that the government cannot demonstrate a preference for Christianity. You see, many people erroneously believe that the First Amendment of the Constitution demands government neutrality or even hostility toward all things Christians. Remember the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law regarding the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. In recent years, this so-called establishment cause has been used to ban everything from nativity scenes in the court of the public square to prohibiting prayers at graduation ceremonies because such outward and overt Christian expressions imply the government's endorsement of a specific religion. Now, the problem with that application of the First Amendment is it is based on a truly false understanding of the words religion and establishment. The First Amendment was written and ratified to guarantee that no particular denomination within the Christian sect would be made the National Church of America that everyone would have to worship in. That is all that was meant by the First Amendment. When it says Congress shall not establish a religion, it means Congress shall not establish the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, the Congregational Church as the state church of which everyone must be a part of. Now, I made that claim a few weeks ago. You've heard me say that before. You may say, well, now, Pastor, how do you know that's true? How do you know that is what the framers of the Constitution meant in the First Amendment, that they were referring to denominations within Christianity and not different faiths like Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and so forth. I'm going to give you that evidence, and it is compelling. Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story was appointed to the Supreme Court by President James Madison in 1811. Do you remember who James Madison was? James Madison was considered the chief author and the founder of the Constitution. 
In fact, uh, 20 years earlier, before he appointed Justice Story, James Madison is the one who introduced the Bill of Rights, including the First Amendment to Congress. That was James Madison. He was the architect of our Constitution. He is the one who appointed uh, Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story. Now, Justice Story was made a Justice of the Supreme Court by James Madison in 1811, only 20 years after the ratification of the First Amendment. So here you've got a Supreme Court Justice appointed by the architect of the Constitution, James Madison, who's living at the same time as the framers of the First Amendment. He was alive during the debate. It's interesting that Joseph Story wrote a commentary on the Constitution of the United States. And in that commentary, he clarified the meaning of the First Amendment. And listen to what Joseph Story said. He said, quote, the real object of the First Amendment was not to countenance, much less to advance Islam or Judaism or any other infidelity by prostrating Christianity. No, the whole object was to exclude all rivalry among Christian sects denominations, and to prevent any national ecclesiastical establishment which should give a hierarchy the exclusive patronage of the national government. Justice Story said the whole purpose of the First Amendment was simply to create one Christian sect from being the national church. He goes on to say, never in our wildest imagination was it meant to prostrate Christianity to elevate Judaism, Islam, and any other infidelity of a religion above the Christian faith. Now, don't you find that fascinating? That is what was meant by the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law regarding the establishment of a denomination. That is what he was talking about. And although the Constitution allows that people are free to embrace Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, if they want to, Never should we believe that that is in any way saying that all religions are equally valid. America was founded as a unique Christian nation. In the New York State Supreme Court case of uh, the People versus Ruggles, Chief Justice James Kent wrote in that case, quote, we are a Christian people and the morality of the country is deeply engrafted upon Christianity and not upon the doctrines or worship of those imposters. Listen, that is a high court saying every other religion besides Christianity is an imposter religion. What I'm saying is true tolerance allows other religious beliefs, but it also allows the showing of preference to other religious beliefs, the belief of Christianity. Our forefathers did not hesitate to declare that America was a Christian nation. And although, again, they championed the right of other people to embrace other faiths, they did not demand that government prostrate Christianity. There is no mandate, ladies and gentlemen, in the Constitution that requires government to prevent public expressions of the Christian faith in the public square. In fact, as I've demonstrated in the last two examples, the First Amendment doesn't even require that government treat all faiths equally. You know, you've got high school principals, bless their hearts. They say, well, you know, if I allow a Christian to pray at graduation, then I have to allow a Jew, and then I have to allow a Hindu, and then I have to allow a Muslim. No, you don't. That's not what the First Amendment says. It says you don't have to prostrate Christianity in the name of other religions. 
A city mayor isn't obligated to balance a nativity scene with a Jewish menorah. The fact is, true tolerance allows for preferences even in the government. A few months ago, I was interviewed on the radio by Alan Combs, you know, the token liberal at Fox News. And uh, boy, he's an interesting guy. But uh, he kind of ambushed me in the interview because little did I know he had pulled a string of my comments from different sermons uh, over a period of about 15 years and he just played them one after another to show what an intolerant person I was. And uh, one of the clips he played was where I showed that we as Christians ought to prefer Christians to be our leaders. And so he said, so Dr. Jeffers, what you're saying is you don't want any Jews, Muslims, or Hindus running for office. You want to keep them out of office. I said, that's not true at all. I think anybody has the right to run for public office without any religious test by the government. That's Article 6 of the Constitution. But I also have the right to prefer Christians over non-Christians as our leaders. You see, that is what true tolerance is. True tolerance allows for preferences. However, when we demonstrate our preference, I do think we need to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was very interesting in the way he presented absolute truth. He was very hard in his convictions. In Matthew 10, 34, Jesus said, Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Or Luke 15, 25, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, those are tough comments, aren't they? Jesus was tough in his convictions, but he was very soft when it came to people. He was what I like to call a velvet-covered brick. Hard in his convictions, soft with other people who were genuinely searching for God. And I believe if we're going to be effective in being salt and light in our culture, we have to find that same mix between conviction and compassion. But hear me, compassion for other people doesn't negate conviction True tolerance not only allows for a strong point of view, it actually demands it. True tolerance is based on a genuine concern for other people. A genuine concern that says, I respect your right to believe what you want to believe, to behave as you want to behave, but I also love you too much to remain silent about it. That is true tolerance. In his book, The New Absolutes, William Watkins writes, we must violate the new tolerance and become a people marked by intolerance. Not an intolerance that unleashes hate upon people, but an intolerance that's unwilling to allow error to masquerade as truth. An intolerance that is willing to call evil, evil, and good, good. There's never been a more urgent moment in history when so much hangs in the balance for our country. My hope and prayer is that God would raise up men and women all across America who would become salt and light for Him. In addition to redefining the word tolerance, critics of the Christian faith have also attacked American history. As a ploy to eradicate Christian morality from our public schools and to strip our courtrooms from a biblical moral code, they're telling their audience that our Founding Fathers never intended to impose Christian values on American citizens. Well, 
earlier, you heard me mention a brand new book I've written for you called America is a Christian Nation. It's an exclusive publication from Pathway to Victory that exposes these lies and celebrates the truth of our Christian heritage. In addition, I've included colorful photographs that illustrate the majestic beauty of our nation. This book belongs on your coffee table as a reminder to you and your family that America was indeed founded as a Christian nation. And when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll make sure that a copy is sent to your home right away. Thank you so much for investing in the ministry of Pathway to Victory. When you do, you're becoming salt and light for Jesus Christ because your gift is channeled directly into spreading the truth about the gospel. And your gift during the summertime is so important because our friends and supporters get busy with their vacation schedule and giving sometimes decreases. So thank you in advance for your partnership this summer in broadcasting the gospel and changing lives. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You're invited to request a copy of the brand new book, America is a Christian Nation, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, you'll also receive the full-length companion message on DVD. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $125 or more, we'll also send you both the CD and DVD sets for the America and the Bible teaching series. Plus, you'll receive a copy of the popular book by Dr. Jeffress called Praying for America. To request the complete package of resources, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also send your request by mail. Just write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Every day it seems like our country wanders farther away from the Christian principles upon which it was founded. Is there any way to prevent America from falling? Learn why the preservation of our nation depends on the local church. Tuesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.